Recording from the Sunshine City, St. Petersburg, Florida, overlooking beautiful Tampa Bay, this is the Sonography Lounge, sponsored by Gulf Coast Ultrasound Institute. This podcast is dedicated to medical professionals and patients around the world interested in diagnostic and interventional ultrasound. Our podcast will discuss everything ultrasound, from news, trends, career paths, new technology, and industry updates. Hosted by Lori Green and Trisha Rio of Gulf Coast Ultrasound Institute, they bring over four decades of experience in the ultrasound profession and are here to guide you through this journey. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us today on the Sonography Lounge, where we talk about everything ultrasound. Today's episode is an open mic happy hour session, my personal favorite, and we are going to discuss a hot topic dealing with the shortage of sonographers and sonographer burnout. We have Dan Bork here as our guest today, who is the lead cardiac sonographer at Orlando Regional Medical Center in Orlando, Florida, and one of our beloved faculty who has worked with us here at Gulf Coast for many years, teaching our echo and point of care courses. So thank you for joining us today, Dan. Thank you for having me. This is, uh, this is fun. Yeah. <laughs> I'm already enjoying myself sitting here in front of the mic with a beer. That's and right. We love the happy hour ones. Love it. <laughs> So, as I said, we're going to be talking about a hot topic um, today, and as you know, there is a workforce shortage across all sectors in the United States, which has significantly impacted businesses, individuals, and families throughout the United States. And since we are all about ultrasound, we are focusing our session today uh, specifically on the sonographer shortage, which actually started before COVID-19, but of course... Uh, We are currently experiencing even further epidemic or pandemic ignited by the COVID-19 pandemic. So let's talk a little bit about some of the reasons for the sonographer shortages and subsequent burnout um, that the working sonographers are experiencing. Yeah, Lori, I mean, it's it's bad out there. We see it, you see it in your grocery stores, you see it in your restaurants, you see it all across the board, but medical is uh, really being hit hard by this. So um, specific to ultrasound, let's start about, start talking with um, some pre-COVID things. You know, what factors do we think contributed to the initial sonographer shortage? You know, we have an aging sonographer population and they're retiring. We have a lack of experience replacement sonographers to take their place. We have a lack of schools, especially in the cardiac and vascular applications. And then we also have, you know, workplace injuries. So 90% of sonographers scan in pain. So unfortunately, some of our skilled sonographers who maybe yet weren't at retirement age have now decided to leave the field due to injuries um, that have limited their ability to do their daily jobs. So Dan, as the lead sonographer for your team, um, you know, beside the these reasons, what are some other factors you think are contributing to this outside of COVID? Well, it, it looked like, you know, COVID kind of accelerated a lot of things. And, and I think it ended up becoming a perfect storm because, you know, you've seen a lot of people, you know, in healthcare in general, as well as ultrasound, reevaluate priorities. Yeah. And I think people that were on the fringe of either looking at early retirement, looking at where they wanted to spend most of their time. Uh, I think what it did was it took all of these four points that you just made. And those are the primary factors that we're seeing. I mean, in our facility, and I'm, you know, I have the, the privilege of being able to talk to other people throughout the country. When we trade stories and we trade information, these are the factors that come up every single time. It's a lack of qualified applicants. And whether that comes from you know, not having enough people with knowledge of the field to go into the schools, or if it's just the schools not turning out people 
at a, at a rapid rate. Um, you know, most schools, the, the numbers of students that they'll have are usually, you know, six, eight, 10, 12. Some schools are two years, some schools are a year, but they're just not widespread enough. And then, you know, the recruitment of people to get into these schools is, is challenging because most people, we talked about this last night, most people when they think of healthcare, what are the first two things pop in your head? You think, well, I'm gonna be a doctor, I'm gonna be a nurse. And people don't realize that the allied health field, you know, there's, there's a ton of opportunity. I mean, there are jobs everywhere right now. If you are a qualified sonographer, mm -hmm. whether it's echo, vascular, general, anything, you have a job. There's a job out there. And that we knew that going into this, right? Right. Yeah. What was there, a 20% deficit mm -hmm. of a predicted workforce in the next 15, 20 years? When I came into the field, that was part of the reason why I went into it, because I knew that I was going to be guaranteed a job. But now, I'm guaranteed a job, but I'm also guaranteed that I'm going to be doing maybe two and three other jobs at the same time. Um, so it's, it, you know, I'd love to say it's just it's one thing, but I think it was just the, the perfect storm of all of this stuff hitting and nobody knew what to do. Right. Yeah. You know, and then combine that with people actually having to go in and scan in the early part of COVID, having to go into these rooms. Right. And, you know, having not having any protocols in place. Some people people said, I'm out. I don't want to deal with this because if you look at what, you know, the early part of COVID, what the news media did, what, you know, research, we didn't know. Right. News media didn't know. Even research. How many times did the stories change? Because they kept doing more research and finding different things. So the stories constantly change. So it's still changing. It's still, yeah. and it's still changing. <laughs> it's still changing. And it, it's, it, it's, it, it's just the information is coming. We're used to research being in front of us. We're not used to research having us having to catch, catch up. up. We're not right. used to that. Right. We're used to having it right there for us to be able to pull from. And I think that that scared yeah. a lot of people. Yeah. Yes. Um, I talked to one of my coworkers in Ohio and she said that their facility was putting them in garbage bags to go in these rooms because they ran out of PPE. I mean, yeah, we, yeah. we were lucky at our facility. I will say Orlando health was, I mean, I'm not going to put a plug. I, I mean, I'll just say that the facility was excellent. We had ample supplies and we were just, we were lucky. Yeah. And for whatever reason, however the planning came by, it just happened to work out. But there were plenty of facilities, and we felt bad for a lot of right. other facilities that had to go into these things blind without proper PPE, or they were reusing yeah. a lot of PPE. Um, mm. Yeah. Well, I think you're right in, in the pre-COVID end of things, that, um, and even now after COVID, that you know the, the uh, availability of qualified applicants is definitely an issue, and it's just gotten worse because of COVID and, and everything that we talked about um, thus far has gotten worse since then. We, one of our other instructors, um, Christy Jordan, uh, we, we, did, we did a podcast with her as well and uh, featured her, her uh, cardiac program, but um, her and as well as many other um, of our faculty and people that we know that are involved with education, that they may start out with 20 students but typically before the first semester is even over, they've lost close to 50% of them yeah. because they just didn't realize what all is involved or they have, you know, personal issues or, you know, they have to work a job and go to school and it ends up being too much. And there's just all these various factors that people don't realize when they go into, into the healthcare profession, in the allied healthcare profession, that... Um, you have to be committed and um, you have, there's a lot to learn and it, you don't learn it overnight. And subsequently that help, 
that's contributing to the number of qualified applicants coming out of these schools, you start with 20 and you end up graduating five or 10 maybe, you know, so um, that's a huge problem with trying to replace the aging population Mm -hmm. that there's a lot of us. (laughs) Us. <laughs> and, you put uh, yourself in that well, category. You guys were the pioneers, though. Yeah. You think about it, right? You can yeah. say me. I'm not retiring yet. Ultrasound's been a yep. thing for a long time, but 40, <laughs> okay, yeah. 40 years yeah. or so. I mean, you guys are the pioneers that kind of started yeah. a lot of this, and you guys were figuring things out as you went. And I think, you know, the other part of it that contributes is there's no direct path. Even now, like, you guys would yes. learn a lot on the job. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it's not like you sit there and you graduate high school and you say, okay, I'm going to go be it would be a sonographer. You don't just go right into school. Like there's not a lot of those programs that, right. that exist. Right. Like my path was, I did a bachelor's, I did a master's. I still didn't want to know what I wanted to do after my master's. So I went back and got other certifications. Still didn't want to know what I wanted to do. And then, oh, here's this echo thing that I can go ahead and do. And what I had to do to get through an echo program, I was married, two kids and a mortgage. I quit my job. My wife wasn't working, so we had we had saved up. We knew we could get by on a year. We had two kids that we had to take care of and a mortgage that we had to pay. And then at the end of it all, we said, we're going to move to Florida on top of it. We live in that kid at the time. <laughs> so this is it, this is right when the market just went. Oh, nice timing. Yeah, very nice timing. But there was a lot of planning that had to go yes. into it. Not everybody has the has the has the ability to be able to, right. to pull that off. So that is mm-hmm. the challenge because they, people find this late in their career. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and like you say, the attrition is high because of all the other, you know, you have life right. <laughs> responsibilities. Exactly. Yeah. And most programs require you, and to really do it right, you've got to commit full time. Yeah. Absolutely. You cannot do it. It's not like a part-time degree where you no. can go. You, it's a skill. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, a, it's, a, it's like an athletic skill. If you don't yeah. practice it, you lose it. And that's where, that's the biggest deficit. People can have the pathology knowledge. People can sit and take the board. But you got to be able to scan. Right. Yeah. That's only that's a small part of it, knowing oh, the pathology. Yeah. But if you can't yeah. scan, you're not. Yeah, you can be book smart, oh, but yeah. you know you've got to be able to yep. obtain those images and accurately mm-hmm. obtain those images. And I think that's where people really need to, as they're applying or even considering going into this profession, that this is not just being a button pusher. You really have to understand the um, the whole patient, the clinical. Um, and physical exam and be able to correlate that information. And then this is it's technically challenging to perform ultrasound and you gotta be fully committed to doing that. Mm-hmm. And if you're not, then you're probably not gonna be successful at it. Mm-hmm. And you're gonna waste some time in school because once you get in there, you're gonna rapidly learn that Correct. this is a different, right. different world we live in. <laughs> and it's physically demanding. Mm-hmm. A lot of people don't understand how physical our job is. The right. 90% scanning and pain thing, I, that blew me away. We had a sonographer yeah. at our facility who had a hard time getting you know, insurance. They, you know, they basically told her, she said, you know, hey, I'm applying for insurance. The first thing they ask you is, what do you do? She says, well, I'm a sonographer. And she said, literally, the, the adjuster, <laughs> they laughed on the <laughs> side of the line. like, oh, yeah, forget it. Your rates are going to be so high, we're not even going to bother. Wow. They have higher rates. You know, we, you think about it. 90% of people in pain, 40% or, or not 40, it's like somewhere between 30 and 40% have debilitating injuries. Yeah. Debilitating. Like yeah. you can't work anymore. Right. Nor like, can you live. Nor you can't, you like, <laughs> you have a debilitating injury and then the rest of us just kind of get along with it. I mean, I'm in good shape. I take care of myself. We all do. That's what you have to do. And 
I'm still in pain. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Doesn't matter. There's still little wrist yeah. things. There's things that you know you right. lift weights, you do all this kind of. There's still things that that get mm-hmm. you no matter what you do. So it, it's real. It's a hundred percent real. Yeah, and I think that's that. You know, we haven't really talked about burnout yet, but um, that is a contributing factor to that, of, of course, because when you are already being phys- uh, mentally challenged and you know wor- working um, overload already because there's so many such a shortage of sonographers and you're doing these repetitive motions and you're doing more and more exams, you're going to get injured. And then if your medical facility that you work in is not supportive in the standpoint of providing the appropriate types of resources you need to be able to work and using good ergonomics, you know, your chairs, your beds, your cable braces, all the things that go along with that, then, you know, you're going to end up getting injured more quickly and probably more a higher level of severity so you know a lot of people don't don't they kind of look at oh musculoskeletal well, you, injuries, the chair, you know what you is, yeah yeah suck it up yeah, exactly <laughs> yeah, that, i remember one time i just went down to sit down and like oh you get to sit on the job i'm like <laughs> Yeah, I, I get yeah. to sit on the job. That's right. But yeah, they didn't know yeah. the patient before. You stand in a wheelchair on your head. It, it, exactly. Or you go into a code and then you're you know, literally on your knee for 45 mm-hmm. minutes while they're doing chest compressions and you're trying yeah, to hold the, the probe team. when they say, OK, stop so we can look at the heart function. And then you have the probe on there and then that's mm-hmm. what you've been doing for 40. So, yeah, you're, you're or a cath lab, any of those places yeah. you have to. Yeah, it's not as easy as people right. make it out. If you're, especially if you're in a hospital, I right, mean, right, yeah. right. A hospital setting is definitely yeah. most challenging, um, very demanding, and and especially if you work in an emergency uh, department environment as well. That you know you, you you don't have your one little room that you work in. You know you mm-hmm. you're working in, and you can't just be a right-handed scanner or a left-handed scanner. You got to be able to do it in every which way you The hospital can. is your room. Yes, that's right. <laughs> the whole hospital. And, the and, whole you know, hospital. I don't push her on your 75-pound machine. That's exactly right. And that's when I first started in ultrasound, you know, basically ultrasound was like, okay, there's a closet over there, and we're going to put your machine in there. And and you're like, really? Like, you can't even hardly mm-hmm. turn around. But the, the sad part about it is it's still the case in a whole lot of different, yeah. you know, not as much as it was in the past, but still. I'm trying in, to get a system in, in an ICU room. Yeah, yeah okay. exactly. Like and work around everything. So. Contorted the whole time. And they've tried to make the machines you know, more, there's been so much research that's gone into ergonomics and, you know, that you look at the machines now versus what they, I mean, remember the old, you know, sonocytes or not the sonocytes, the, um, you know, the old, uh, HPs. Oh yeah. Where it was just, it was basically just a gigantic, With like, the thermal like yeah. a forklift and you just had this big piece of steel that you're pushing through. Didn't maneuver, keyboard height didn't yeah. change, monitor didn't move or anything yeah, else. Right. And now you've got 360 degree rotation, yeah. you've got monitors that are independent. So they they clearly have looked at it and said, hey, there's an injury problem. We need to do oh, something yeah. about Which, it. Thank yeah. you. And they've spent Equipment a lot of money. And yes, exactly. That's thank right. you very much. Thank, thank you very much. Give it to the equipment manufacturers for listening and, yep. and really, uh, you know, standing up for that aspect of our needs. Sorry. So, Lori, I know we've talked a lot. Um, take us through some of the reasons we think COVID-19 has just exasperated the situation. Well, you know, COVID in itself um, represents fear. Yeah. So I think a big part of the whole situation across the board, anywhere in any workplace environment is is the fear that's been instilled in everyone. And everybody has different opinions on that. It might be political or it might be, um, you know, your own personal, the media, of course. Uh, I think probably everybody would agree that the media likes to um, 
you know, make things a lot. Embellish? Yes, embellish is the word I was looking for. (laughs) (laughs) Embellish everything. It doesn't matter what topic it is. If they can make it be a bigger thing to talk about, then it's all about the ratings. Going to get those ratings, right? So, you know, but unfortunately, there are some people who allow for that fear to, you know, invade their brain and their body and overcome their, and you have to be able to deal with these are part of the the stresses that are involved with, with, with the shortages, with, COVID itself is that fear is a driving driving factor. And so you have to somehow find a way to cope with that and um, deal with it so that you can find balance in your life. But I, I would say that that would be one of the number one aspects because people were fearful to go to work. They were fearful to be around patients who had COVID or suspected of having COVID. They are fearful of bringing something home to their kids or maybe their aging parents or you know, grandparents or whatever the case may be, and you can't blame them. You know, we all thought about that. And, um, but uh, in the end, you also have to go on living. So you have to find a way to find balance where you're not, you know, so struck in fear. But I do think that that's a big, big issue. Um, In the early time of COVID, when we were having all the lockdowns and, and uh, many of the facilities were not even open, or if they were open, they had limited hours. So the number of services they were providing was decreased. So, you know, staff was getting laid off, people's uh, raise, you know, their, um, you know, ability to get raises were frozen, you know. Um, or they even took pay cuts. Many people took pay cuts. Yeah, you can't do ultrasound from home. <laughs> people yeah. were furloughed, too. I mean, you can't I mean, do we, that. We had so, furloughs. We right. had a lot of furloughs. Yeah. Um, and then what that ended up doing, and it's, it's funny you bring that up, it pushed people to traveling, uh-huh. which is really, you know, you want to look at another contributor to the shortage that we haven't even discussed yet is travelers. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, what facility these days is not using a traveler? Right. I mean, right. we never, I, I've been at our facility for 12 years. We never even sniffed a traveler. COVID came. Guess what? We had turnover. We lost people. People went elsewhere. We had to use travelers. And I never even thought that would have ever happened in all the time that I've been here. But we had to. And the pay rates are so high. Oh, my God. Which has driven up the salaries everywhere. Everywhere. Because people, in order to keep them from jumping to that aspect of things, they've had to increase. And we, you know, every facility has had to look at their pay scales Mm -hmm. and had to change them in order to keep people. Which is good. I mean, it was time. Correct. It absolutely was time. But it forces people's hands when before they may not be ready. Right. Exactly. Budgets are things. Yep. (laughs) So, I mean, from a business perspective, because I'm a business owner, you know, that is true. It's a good thing for to be able to um, have pay raises, but you want to get pay raises for the right reasons, not because (laughs) it's been forced because of a a pandemic and fear and having to close things down. And you got to be you want to keep your business running. So, you know, if the money's not in, you know, if the well's empty, you can't really fit. Exactly. yeah. Spread out more, more I mean, monies. You, you have so, to wonder where are they taking the money from? Exactly. And how is that impacting right. patient care? So something's sac- being sacrificed yeah. in order to do that, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Whether it's resources or another department is not going to get the personnel they need because they need to put it somewhere else, you know. So something has to be sacrificed in order to make that happen. So it's an unfortunate yeah. situation. Yeah. Um. But uh, and then, you know, with COVID, there's there's a lot of people that were basically forced to not be able to go back to work. It might not be that they don't they don't want to go back to work, but maybe it 
there was a parent that had to take care or children, child care, or the schools were closed down and they had to, parents had to, you know, teach their kids at home and learn how to be a teacher of yeah. early childhood, which I don't know that I could do that. <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah, that so, was you know, there were some other things that just basically, you know, out of people's control. And then, you know, there's just people who decided that whatever, for whatever reason, that they're just not going to reenter the workforce. And then, of course, there's vaccine mandates. That's, you know, is a controversial thing as well. But, you know, vaccine mandates are definitely play a role in the return to workforce. Have people talked to you about that? Like, have you gotten comments from people, especially, I mean, you're getting national and worldwide people. Is oh, that yeah. something that you guys have seen that's oh, been, we've heard I it. mean, clearly you've, we've heard it and seen it, but oh, has that yeah. been, it's been yeah. reported a lot. On both sides of the, you yeah. know, of spectrum, of course, okay. but, you know, I think that, you know, <clears throat> I don't think anybody wants to be forced to do something that they um, are not 100% sure or have a high, high percentage that they, there's research that's sufficient for them to be comfortable with. And and so personally, I believe everybody should have their choice in what they want to, whether they get a vaccine or not. Um, I think they have to do their research and and be comfortable with the decision that they make. And Well, but, we're healthcare professionals. So what's the first thing you're taught in school when you're dealing with patients? Consent, mm-hmm. informed right. consent. Right. So, you know, I think for them, a lot of healthcare professionals want that ability to make an informed decision. Right. And when it's forced upon them, whether I've even heard people say, I have no problem with the vaccine, I just have a problem with the mandates, therefore I'm not doing it. Right, yeah. exactly. We hear a lot of that. Yeah. yeah. But, um, you know, and then there's just, you know, there's just people who just, for whatever, they may have medical conditions that they feel that that would put them at higher risk or, you know, there's just, you hear so many different things, but it's definitely a factor, a contributing factor, some on both sides of, of the, of the spectrum. So, um, but I think that those are, are all things that certainly contribute to our shortage in the workforce. Yeah. And unfortunately, you know, what, the reason that it happens is, is, you know, due to a lot of variable factors, but the end result is the same. What for the the, the reason is that sonographers are getting burned out. Mm-hmm. They're um, and and not just sonographers. You know, all healthcare professionals. But we're talking about ultrasound. So just if any of you are listening, you're a physician or a nurse practitioner. We love you all. We work yep. and teach with you, teach you all. <laughs> um, we're just happy to talk about the sonographer issue now. But all healthcare providers have you know, gone beyond the call of duty to be able to um, help fight this situation. But Absolutely. the burn and the burnout is widespread. But um, when you have to work two, three times what you would normally have to do, and you're getting more and more exams put on you and less time to do them, you know, the end result is going to ultimately be that at some point in time, something's got to give. Yes. And I know you see that firsthand in your... Yes. We, you know, people make it, like I say, people make a decision because it is a, it is not, it is an employee workforce time. So if you're an employee and you're looking for a job, you can go anywhere you want. So it, right. it's, it, you know, the, the employees are the people, the sonographers are the ones that are kind of driving this workforce. So if you don't like what you're doing and like what yeah. things are going on, 
you know, I hate to say there's a time to advocate for change, but this is, you know, there's no better time yeah. to do it than now because voices are, be people are being listened to because yeah. administrators are seeing that. You know, people leaving is a real thing. Mm -hmm. People going to different places, turnover is a real thing. Um, and people are taking note of that. And I've, this has probably been the, the biggest amount of impact that I've seen in, you know, a short, I've been oh. in this a short period of time and I'm, you know, I would devoid more people that have been in this field longer than me, but there's a lot of opportunity for change now. So you can try to spin it to a yeah, better thing. Absolutely. You know, right. the, the working conditions, this is a time now to advocate for that kind of stuff. You know, doing more with less is not, it's, it's not an option because, um, you know, we, we have adhered to that. So we're short staff at our facility. You know, we had travelers, you know, we've kind of limited the number of travelers. We've, we've slowly hired people, but we've tried to do everything the right way. And we've maintained that. It's a hard thing to do yeah. because, you know, what's the driving factor is that, you know, making sure the patient volume is enough and you're getting people in and out of the hospital. But what is sacrificed as a result of that is quality. And we refuse to do that. Right. right. Um, and that's, you know, that's where you should be. People should be looking. And it, it's not it's not that way everywhere. Unfortunately, yes. that's the hard part. If right. you have a place that does that, you need to hang on to it. Yes. And stay there because. Right. Yeah, it's rare. Yeah. It's very yeah. rare. I think you're right, though, that, you know, sometimes it takes um, a, a really severe situation or on an individual basis for the hit bottom before you realize that mm -hmm. I got to make a change. And I think that COVID, if there is a a good thing as a result of COVID hopefully. that that might be hopefully coming in the future that yeah. that the um, management and administrators will recognize that you know you've got to first of all you have to really respect and appreciate your employees and show them that you do mm -hmm. and if and when, when times get tough and the tough get going then you gotta make sure that you let your employees know that you're right there behind them 100 percent, and you're going to do whatever you can do to support them whether that's by you know providing additional resources to help out with uh, your ability to cope with the excessive stress and mental issues, health issues that people are experiencing or physical, um, you know, musculoskeletal injuries or whatever it is that you need to have, just giving people time to take a break. But management, I hopefully will recognize that and see that, you know, that's something that has to be done if you want to retain your employees. Because as you said, the, the workforce, Jobs are wide, widespread. You know, I went, I went to my. I was telling Trisha the other day. I went to my um, cardiologist, and um, first thing he said was, "Hey, Lori, how you doing?" I'm going, "I'm doing great." And he says, "Do you want to come and work here?" <laughs> I need, I am dying. I need someone. To, I'm like full time. No. And he goes, I'll take anything full time, per diem, part time, whatever. I go, well, I would love to help you out. But oh. you know, I'm, I'm like, <laughs> I get my own you know, over my head. Exactly. As it is, right? <laughs> We're short staffed at our business as well. So, but you know, when you go in to see a physician and that's the first thing out of their mouth, you know, you got to, you know, yeah. they're asking you questions that are related to, Hey, Hey, can you help me out? Can you help me out? Yeah. <laughs> wait, wait, no, let's talk about my stuff first. Yeah. Yeah. We'll get into, we'll get into, get into, into that, that later. Yeah. <laughs> 
Well, we had a participant. We're doing our Intro to Adult Echo course this week, which is why Dan's here with us live. And we had a participant who said her employer brought in a massage therapist once a week to give oh. everybody in the department a massage. So, you know, they're killing two birds with one stone. They're yeah. showing their patients or their uh, employees that they appreciate idea. them. Mm -hmm. And they're preventing work-related injuries because mm -hmm. they're getting the self-care that they need and the care for their joints and their ligaments and their muscles. So I really thought that that was awesome. That's a really great idea. Yeah. That is a great idea. Yeah, I'm going to advocate for that here. I'll have to think about that. Well, you know, we used to do that. You remember that, Casey? We used to bring in a massage therapist about See? once a quarter and do the little chair massage. Oh, I'm, I'm on like it. That. And, and most people liked them. A couple people were like, eh. I don't, I don't need that. I don't like to be touched. Or time for me. He will go on me. <laughs> Can I have I'll, 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 I'll take, take your time. Your That's fine. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you don't want it? No problem. Just kick it Care well, we're in a new facility now. We need to find a, a good uh, massage therapist in downtown St. Pete. So anybody listening out there, you know, give me a call. Mm -hmm. um, but, yeah, that's a great idea. Um, so, actually, that's that's a good segue into, you know, we know that there's a problem. There's a shortage of sonographers, and the end result is burnout, which then equates to negatively impacting the quality of exams, potentially and negatively impacting the quality of exams. Um and uh, patient outcomes and then being able to retain your staff. So, Well, yeah, you can't work full out and then also stay up with the guideline changes yeah. and also stay up with the technology innovations and also take good care of your patient, talk to them, get a appropriate medical history when you're triple booked. You can't do right. that. So. And, and we were talking about that earlier about, you know, uh, when we were talking about um, the availability of good qualified uh, sonographers coming out of school that just even when you get out of school like the, the ultrasound profession is so dynamic that it's not like you can just graduate and take your boards and be done with it and you know you have to go into it with the mindset that things are always changing technology is always changing guidelines are changing criteria you know and so you have to always you know, keep up with things. And that means you got to take that time. But when you're like worn thin, the first thing that's going to go is doing that little extra, that's right. extra effort to, you know, credit for extra credit to get, you know, and that's where things start going, you know, down the slippery slope. So um, there de definitely needs to be some ongoing um, attention to this area and working on solutions to the problem. So um, what, what kind of things have, have are you doing in your facility that are helping to? So we've, we've made some changes. Our, our lab has grown. I mean, when we started at our facility, we were six sonographers. I started in 2009, and now we're 18, 17. Wow. And we have positions open as well. <laughs> this is what day? Uh, December 9th. <laughs> so, yeah, so if anyone's listening, whenever this podcast comes out, we still have openings at Orlando Regional. <laughs> um, but Come we, work with Dan. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what what we have done is we've... we've um, We've slowly kind of evolved because we've we started with no structural heart, then we've increased that. So we've slowly adjusted our staff. But really, what we've done is we, there's a core group of us that have really tried to promote um, a working environment that promotes learning, and that's what we have found has been the most successful change. So from the the leadership portion of it, the emphasis has always been on quality, and it's always been on on continued learning wherever the opportunities arise. That's awesome. That's the only way that you can really survive. And even with that, we've still had we've still had turnover. So it's not it's not perfect. You know, we're level one trauma, so it's a, it's a busy place. But 
you know, when you come into the lab, we've had plenty of people that have come through and it, you, you feel like you're going to learn something. Everyone talks about cases. Everyone feels comfortable about sharing their echoes. That's the only way. That it takes time to get to that environment, but mm -hmm. that's one of the things that we've done. And, you know, we, um, we created an educator position, which the responsibility for that is to kind of go through and, and work with sonographers, work on tees, work on, you know, improving contrast imaging, um, you know, work on pathology imaging, giving lectures, stuff of those nature. So it's, it's been a progressive facility. We've been very lucky that leadership has, has kind of understood that and, you know, given us for the most part what we've needed. So we've been lucky. Not all places are like that, but if you right. want to really survive and promote a good working environment, you, you have to have a continual growth learning mindset. If you don't, you're going to fall behind in patient. And really, honestly, what do we get into this for? What are we doing this for? Right. We're not doing this just because ultrasound's cool. We're doing this because we want to take care of patients. Right. And if you lose that, if you lose that thought process, then they're the ones that suffer. And all of this, everything, that's where everything kind of gets forget, forgotten is, yep. you know, you got sonographers this, you've got physicians, but really the patients are, are why we do this. So if you keep that concept in mind, mm -hmm. and when I do an echo, if I see a valve that doesn't look really good, am I going to do this echo in five minutes? Or am I going to take the extra 10 or 15 and be damned if there's people behind me? Right. And that, that leads into the other stuff that, mm -hmm. you know, obviously we're going to talk about with, you know, supervisors and managers, but mm -hmm. you have to do that. Right. You have to. Yeah. It's just, it's the right thing to do. It's hard, but it's, God dang, it's the right thing to right. do. Right. That was yeah. always my response when I would go out to a waiting room and a patient was angry because I came out 30 minutes <clears throat> past their scheduled appointment time and they were, I've been waiting out here. I take them in the room, close the door and just look at them and say, I'm really sorry that I got you late and that we're running behind, but you would want me to spend as much time on your exam as I did on that person's exam. Yep. And so that person could be your mother, your sister, your aunt, your uncle. Yep. Right. So you would want me to give you that same attention that I gave that patient. Mm -hmm. And yeah. it just it brings it all right back. They're like, mm -hmm. oh, yeah, this isn't the Hyatt. This isn't, you know, a resort. You're you're here for a medical appointment. And sometimes things right. things take longer than we planned. Or I had to try to admit that patient, which also happens. We get oh, patients that yeah. come in for outpatient mm -hmm. echoes and we say, you know what? Admitting them. Something's not right. We have to admit them. So that takes extra time. Yeah. And yeah. it's you, you have the next patient behind you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. I'm sorry, you explained that, and every, it, again, it puts its perspective. You give exactly. them the perspective, and it's communication that gets lost. Right. If you can at least do that and not just say, hey, I'm here for your record, you're going to do it, and then done. You still have to talk. Yeah. Right. You still have to have a conversation with right. patients. You still have to be able to, you know, at least articulate what's going on. That's why I chose sonography. I mean, I had options of nuclear medicine, MRI, and when I job chatted, I was like, you guys don't talk to your patients. Yeah. You put them in a, a tube, and you close the door, and you go out, and you sit... But you don't talk to them. Mm -hmm. I want to talk. I'm yeah, a talker. Yeah. I want to talk to people. Sure. Mm -hmm. So that's why I chose ultrasound. I really wanted to get to know my patients. It's and like, I love the job for that. It's like 10 or 15 stories a day. Like yeah. little snippets of time where you get to have like a 20-minute conversation with them. And you're like, okay, cool. I go to the next person. Yeah. And you do the same thing. Right. Sometimes life-changing conversations. Yeah. And a lot, of, yeah. a lot, a lot of times what you do or don't do definitely impacts oh, yeah. what happens to that patient next. Mm -hmm. Yep. And... Um, so, you know, the role that sonographers play is really um, critical in patient care. And, you know, I think most physicians recognize that if they work with you closely. Um, but, um, but as you said, if a patient has to wait, if you just take the time to explain to them that, you know, this patient had some things going on that, you know, we wanted to make sure we're covering everything and we'll do the same for you. 
And some of them are going to be rude, 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 but mm, oh well. Yep, that's the way it goes, right? That's yeah. life. Yeah, but, it is. <laughs> but um, but I, I really liked um, your comment there, um, Dan, about the education learning environment, because I think that is really important because it is the one area where a lot of times um, the sonographers, if, they, if the employer is not supporting them from that regard, then they may not get the additional education that they need. Mm-hmm. And I think... You know, there used to be many moons ago where there were education funds and, and sonographers could go to annual meetings or go somewhere and get cross-training or whatever. And, you know, slowly those funds started slipping away. When the market crash came, I think that, like, pretty much, like, squelched all any kind of, like, extra funds that were available. And they never really came back. Some places did bring them back, but then COVID hit and, you know, same thing happened. If you're going to cut out, the businesses are going to cut out every little thing they can to help make sure that things, you know, you're sustaining that, that medical facility or business or whatever it is. So, you know, sometimes you just kind of have to be creative in how you obtain that extra information and education that you need but if the but we were talking about um, earlier about you know what can what can be done from an administrative endpoint to really help support the the departments the ultrasound departments and the supervisors and the sonographers themselves and one of the top things was this, it has to be a, a team approach to the whole whole situation because it's not just one sonographer or the supervisor or the department. It's really impacts the entire uh, either private practice or, or hospital or wherever you're working at. And if as a whole the administration is saying this is something that we have to, you know, take to heart, that this needs to be a continuous learning environment because in the end it's the patients that are going to suffer if we don't. And that's going to make your sonographers happy because then they feel like you you appreciate what they do. You understand and recognize that in order for them to do their job best, that they have to continuously learn. And if you invest in that, then they are going to be more loyal. Mm-hmm. And they're going to think twice before they move on to another facility. Like you said, that you know, if, if you like where you're at, then you should probably stay there because not every place is going to offer all the benefits and support that you may be getting at Orlando Regional Medical Center. You might be a little bit more money, Mm -hmm. but you might not have all the other things that actually make a huge difference in whether you're happy or not happy at your workplace. Grass isn't always greener on the other side. Exactly. Just green. It's just green. Yep. (laughs) Sometimes it's spray painted. Uh, Yeah, sometimes it's AstroTurf. Yeah, Trisha was saying, yeah, sometimes all you have to do is bring a box of donuts in and I'm happy. (laughs) Saying. So, you know, it's just the little things make a difference. They do. Mm -hmm. So, um, but, you know, from a sonographer's standpoint, you know, um, I think it's important for them to speak out. Like if they're feeling like they're, they're really getting to their breaking point or they're get really getting burnout and, and they, they need, they're getting to that point where they feel like they either got to just leave the profession completely or they're thinking about me, then they need to talk to somebody, mm-hmm. yeah. right? It, it needs to have, the, the, the communication is the, the one thing that I see that is probably the biggest, when you, when you talk about being able, you know, for advocacy, for education, training, all of those things. If there's not an open line of communication between administration and your group, if there's a disconnect between those two things, you're never going to get anywhere. Right. And, you know, 
COVID kind of exposed that a mm -hmm. little bit. Yep. Um, and I think now, again, you talk about, you know, times for change. If there's things that you need, you need to be able to talk to somebody about it in a productive way, not in, you know, just, hey, I need this. Yeah. It's, you know, the, the administrator, supervisor has to be able to see it, but the sonographer group needs to be able to communicate it and there needs to be compromise. And, and sometimes that, in some environments, that gets lost. Um, and it's, it's leadership. Yeah. If you have leadership that understands those things, it doesn't have to be necessarily be a snog. There's plenty of leadership that's in nursing that is responsible for overseeing allied health. Mm -hmm. You just have to be a communicator. If you understand communication, you understand people, you can supervise those environments. But if you don't, it makes it very difficult if you can't identify with that yeah. same area. Yeah. You hit the nail on the head right there. Okay, I mean. Well, speaking of a lot of places, you know, everywhere you go, it's a mix between, you know, nursing supervisors and, and allied health. It's, it's the same theory. It's just the communication. Yeah. Yeah, I worked for a facility, and I cried out to our administrators many times. I was a supervisor, and I just couldn't. I mean, I'd go home at night and just lie awake all night, just sick over the things that I was being expected to ask my sonographers to do. Triple booking rooms and just overworking them and no appreciation. They were always just being told how they were the troublemakers. They were the disruptive department. They were always asking for stuff. <laughs> and it just, it just made me. Hello. Hello. <laughs> it, just, <laughs> it just made me. It's not me, time to drink anymore? No. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I <upset> the wine. <laughs> oh, man, that lightened the mood. Good thing we but, can edit, right? <laughs> <laughs> but it really just, it made me realize how I was, I, I just, I was so tore up that I didn't even want to be there. And I took six months away from the field. I stepped away and reevaluated my priorities and what was important and how I wanted to impact the field. And that's when I joined Gulf Coast Ultrasound and said, you know, um, education's important and advocacy is critical. And I, I advocated to my very last breath to the point where it was getting written up for being disruptive. And I'm, I'm not being disruptive. I'm telling you that what you're asking these people to do is compromising their well-being and the well-being of the patients we're serving, all for a bottom line. And this was all pre-COVID. This all oh, happened God. before COVID even hit. And now that same facility, I just got together with some of my friends over the weekend, and that same facility literally used the phrase, we have a deficit we have to recover from because of COVID, because they're a private outpatient facility, so obviously they're there to make a profit. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We have a deficit, so therefore we are asking you to do more with less. We are asking, <coughs> we're not asking, we're telling you, you're gonna do more with less. You're gonna work short-staffed. We're gonna triple book your rooms, quadruple book your rooms. And if you don't like it, leave. And so they are. Makes, at least they They're give you the opportunity. They're leaving in droves. Yeah. Least, of course they are. We and it's sad because some sonographer is going to come in right out of school and think that that's what it's supposed to look like. And that's, I'm telling you guys, that's not what it's supposed to look like. No. Not at all. No, not at all. Is right. So let's go back to um, some of the solutions to our problems. So we address sonographers, talk to your supervisor. Stand up for yourself. Tell them if you need a break, you take a break. If you need 10 minutes to step outside and to take a few deep breaths and to listen to some calming music or a podcast, you do it. 10 minutes isn't going to make or break anything. You just step away. Mm -hmm. You need to practice personal care. You need to stretch. You need to 
deal with your stress, whether that's through meditation, exercise, kickboxing class, whatever it is, you need to go do it and take care of yourself first because if you're injured, you're not serving anyone. So I definitely think those are the first things you need to do as a sonographer. And then, Lori, we talked about some ideas for supervisors and how they can. Mm-hmm. Well, I think Dan hit that um, area really well, and I think I agree with him that the communication right. aspect of things is really important and having a strong leadership that's willing to support the sonographers and, and you know, the supervisors are the liaison typically between the sonographer and, and upper management. So if, you know, the supervisor, if, if they have good leadership and communication skills, and then you kind of together as a team, working with your sonographers can figure out, you know, what's the best approach? You know your hospital better than or your medical facility, wherever you're working. You know the personalities involved. You know what their um, work ethics are. You know what kind of support you had before we had these terrible times hit us and so you have to figure out the best approach and how to bring that this problem to management's attention but when you go you can't just say we have this problem and we want you to fix it you need to go with some potential solutions to the problem and you know these are the things that we're experiencing and as a result these things are happening and um, we want to talk about how we might resolve this. And we have a few ideas, and we hope, it, hope that maybe you'll, you know, work, discuss these with us and we can collaborate to determine, you know, what might, might work out best. And if you can work together as a team, the sonographers and the supervisors collectively, and then approach management in a professional manner with results type an action plan then you're probably going to be more successful in in getting what you need to help your problem mm-hmm. and that goes not just with sonographer burnout but really anything mm-hmm. and you know if you go in and you charge in and you scream and you yell or you say I'm going to quit if I don't get this or that that's never going to work you know but if you identify a problem and you think about it yourself like if I were in their shoes you know, how would I handle this? And yes, there are budgetary issues that come with with pandemics and and market crashes and things like that 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 are out of the control of, of the employer as well. And they're they have to find ways of retaining employees without having to let people go or cut salaries or things like that. So there's two sides of the story from a as a business owner that it's not always that you want to do that, but you have to find a happy medium to sustain, uh, um, to sustain the business and sustain employment, and work towards the better good, knowing that you're going to get better, you know. And but you got to all work together, and uh, the communication is is the number one. Every time there's an issue, it usually boils down to there's a communication issue probably if we we're not being told it. what's really going on <laughs> yeah exactly people want to know so mm-hmm. if there's a reason why you can't do something it's not just no we can't and then silence right people want to know what that reason is and it doesn't they, work and, for your kids it won't work for your no. employees you yeah. gotta explain yourself exactly yeah. and and people have you know people that have worked in this field especially everything that's going on you, you've earned that right to at least kind of know hey listen there's x y and z that's going on that's preventing us from doing this you know, people are grown-ups. They're going to be able to handle 
that information. It's better to know and not. The, the, the biggest problem that we that I've seen is that is the not knowing. It's just the no, we can't or we can't, and that's it. There's no reason. There's no explanation behind mm-hmm. it. People have earned that. People want you know at least yeah. want to know. And if you give them that, there's that reassurance, and that that's one of the other things that we see. And if it's a good explanation and it's a legitimate explanation, and that's part of that communication process. Hey, we, we're going to look at this in a couple months instead of saying, you know, hey, we're yeah. going to do it. And then it sets. You need to give at least a little bit of a timeline so that right. people know. People just want to know. It's fair. It's right. not an unfair thing to do. It's not a hard thing. Well, and I think that if, that if that's communicated effectively and people know the reason why decisions are made and that they know that they're not made necessarily permanent, mm-hmm. but this is what we have to do for this time period because... We're, we're in this situation that was out of everybody's control. It resulted in certain certain things, and we all have to deal with that. And some of that means we have to work harder. Mm-hmm. Some means we have to work short-staffed. means we might not be able to get raises right away. But this is the short term, and there is a light at the end of the tunnel. We're working our way through this. We might not be aware of what you're going on. Um, you coming to me now and telling me this, I had no clue. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's a problem. Let's 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 definitely <laughs> sit down and talk about it and see what can we do to work our way towards resolving that issue. And but uh, if you just go into it with the mindset of they said no or I don't want to go and talk to them because they're just going to say no, then it's not going to yeah. ever. You know, the whole rule yeah. is you, if you don't ask, the answer is always no. Yeah. So you got to go and talk and discuss it and and go with a plan of action. You can't complain about anything unless you've got a re, uh, an action plan to resolve it. Yeah. You can, but you're not going to get your results you want. <laughs> right? No. And none of this is so, easy. That's the other thing. It's thing. not yeah. easy. None of this is easy. Yeah. It's a tough no. environment to be advocating. It's just that it's hard. Right. And it's easy to quit. It's easy to say, you know what? I'm done. I'm done. Mm-hmm. I'm not doing dealing with this anymore. But, and... You know, if you're at that point of your life where you're prepared and ready to retire and, you know, then hallelujah, that that's great. I wish but I was. But most no. people are not in that position, no. you know. No. So you got to really kind of, you know, blow off your steam and take time to think it through and then figure out how can I make this work for me, for my employer and, and the patient and everybody involved. And and that that ultimately ends up with you got to have a teamwork. Dang it. Sorry, but I don't, I'm being told I have to eat. It's time to eat. <laughs> it's on, whatever. It's on silence. It's but beer it's o'clock. It's not being silent. <laughs> it's beer o'clock is right. So, um, at any rate, um, well, maybe that's telling me to shut up. <laughs> <laughs> I was just saying that. I was never there. that. Well, for the administrators who may be listening, you know, they're probably like, well, I don't know how to help. I don't know how to resolve this situation. And while your sonographers may bring you several ideas that, you know, will help, you obviously have your own bosses to answer to and your own budget to watch. And, uh, you're, uh, you're running an entire facility and every department is facing this. So, you know, sonographers come to you and say, we need X, Y, and Z, and you deliver that to them. And then all the other departments are gonna be like, well, what about us? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, we came up with some realistic ideas. And, you know, I have to say that, Lori, you have implemented some of these ideas here at Gulf Coast as we've navigated this time. And as an employee here, I can say that, you know, I've been expected to step outside of my comfort zone. I've been expected to take on additional <laughs> tasks and responsibilities that 
weren't necessarily outlined in my job description when I came on board, but I've been happy to do it. And the reason for that is because I've always been recognized. I've always been, appreciation has always been expressed, gratitude, um, you know, my contributions are valued. And so I think that that's the number one thing an employer can do is recognize the contributions of your staff. So, and you can do that across the board. And guess what? It's free. It's mm-hmm. free to say thank you. You guys right. are doing an amazing job. And it's not something you can just, you know, send an email. This has to be done in person. So you just round your hospital on a weekly basis and personally thank people for that extra mile that they're going and recognize that they're giving more, they're doing more and getting less. Yeah. Right. Nope, I think that's very, very important. One of the other things we talked about that might even help with the whole, you know, overworked situation is um, providing some physician education mm-hmm. on appropriate ordering of exams. We've right? seen, we you see that all the time. We right? educate physicians every day, <laughs> so we see how it helps. And it it, it definitely helps. It, that is probably one of the tallest orders that we look at. Yeah. You know, when is it? You know, appropriate use criteria. Whew. Yeah. That's a that should be a course. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it could, it could is be. it really that necessary to have that echo yeah, today? Exactly. Or could it wait a couple of days? You know, yeah. you know? It, it, or you have a patient in the ED. We were talking about this. There was a person who made a post about a patient came into the ED and complained that she felt her ovary fall into her groin. Oh. And that mm-hmm. they needed to do an ultrasound. Interesting. And so they ordered a pelvic ultrasound, and you know the stenographer's like, "Yes, yeah, stat," and the stenographer's like, Are you, you, "You're kidding me, right?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you're a physician that did that, well, I understand you're in a tough pickle too, but the least you could have done is picked up the call, phone and called that department and said, hey, look, I'm really sorry. We can make this unlimited. You know, like if you're doing it to appease the patient, it's just that that line, you know, where you have to understand that the sonographers are being overworked, as are the physicians. And we're just looking for a place where we can find a common ground mm-hmm. and we can all work together. You know, physicians can certainly use point-of-care ultrasound. Those handheld systems are mm-hmm. really catching on, and we would love to educate you. You can come to one of our point-of-care mm-hmm. classes, and we'll teach you how to use ultrasound to do part of your clinical exam. And uh, that can help you in making clinical decisions and what happens to your patient from there. That would be a great live happy hour I think podcast. so. Might have to do that next. Yeah. So what is your craziest indication for an ultrasound? <laughs> so craziest indication, echo, it. whatever. That would, yeah, oh, that would yours. be fantastic. <laughs> Me, oh, my God, I have to think about that for a little bit. Hiccups definitely is in, is in the high end of <laughs> Without a pacemaker. So with a pacemaker, it makes sense. Without a pacemaker, do an echo for hiccups. That's one of the crazy. That's one of the wilder ones. I'll have to look through my journal and look and see, but that that definitely that sticks out. Yeah, well, definitely we'll yeah. have to Echo get for hiccups. To multiple people <laughs> from wow. multiple specialty practices and yeah. have our fun. collage of. Oh sure. You could also Never. submit them to us via email. That'd be awesome. And then we could read them out yeah, loud. Absolutely. Never mind the ninety-nine-year-olds with shortness of breath for yeah. an echo, and yeah. they have known aortic stenosis. Which or the patient, I think you get to ninety-nine, you're going to have AS. It's just there's no exactly. question yeah. about it. Yeah. Or the patient Probably with a swollen leg who's on antiquated coagulants and has a filter stat yes yeah okay sure i'll come in at 3 a.m for that that'd be a fun one that'd get even more interesting as the happy hour carries on Uh, (laughs) yeah absolutely yeah well i think this has been a great um discussion and um we'll we'll um definitely be doing others that will kind of tag on to this in fact we're we're planning on maybe doing a part two series coming up and bringing in um 
you know, bringing in a mental health expert or psychologist or someone to talk to that, that, you know, we're not obviously mental health experts. We're just trying to get some discussion about the issues and ways in which we all have, um, you know, try to cope with um, these various situations. But it'd be nice to hear from an expert that has uh, concrete ways and methods for people to deal with burnout because it's a real thing. Yeah. And um, it's not, you know, there's a lot of different reasons for people to get burnout. And there's probably equally as many ways to deal with that. And that's beyond our scope of our knowledge. But um, we thought that might be a good part, too. So everybody kind of stay tuned for um, upcoming episodes of the Sonography Lounge. And um, hopefully you've enjoyed this one. Yeah, We've enjoyed doing it. Um, we love doing these happy hour ones. It's a lot of fun. It's a long day because we do it at the end of a course when we have um, one of our uh, colleagues here teaching with us. But um but, you know, have a glass of wine or a beer, and we're, we're all good to go, right? That's right. <laughs> exactly. Nice end of the day. We can exactly. do anything with alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, that's another podcast. On <laughs> Maybe the mental physicians would say, you're not supposed to use alcohol as a way to deal with stress. No, it's not a coping mechanism at all. No. Not at all. Although probably the majority of people out there drinking have increased their drinking since COVID. I'm sure. But I, I do hear that all the time. Mm-hmm. I, I drink a lot more than I did pre-COVID. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, whatever uh, works, whatever right? Works. Whatever makes you happy. Well, Dan, thank you so much for joining yes, us for this. So we much. appreciate it. We Thanks gave you your me. five minutes of fame. You can <laughs> tell everybody you're a radio star now. <laughs> I appreciate it. Thank you, guys. This was, this was a blast. I appreciate it. Thank all you. right, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to us gab on about all sorts of fun things considering or concerning ultrasound. Um, stay tuned for this and other episodes offered by Gulf Coast Ultrasound through the Sonography Lounge podcast. And happy scanning. Yes. Thank you, everyone, for joining us. We hope you enjoyed our discussions tonight and we look forward to seeing you at another episode thanks for listening to the sonography lounge don't forget if you like this episode please subscribe and leave us a review on itunes spotify or wherever you get your podcasts you can also find us on instagram at sonography lounge and twitter at sonography lng if you have any questions comments or topic suggestions feel free to send an email to us at sonographylounge at gmail.com. Have a great week and scan, scan, scan. <laughs>